0: Snuff Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Souter. Hello and welcome to another episode. Today we're talking about the Russian spy scandal that continues to unfold in the UK, of course, following the poisoning of a former Russian spy, Sergei Skripal, and his daughter Yulia. It happened in public. Uh, And Theresa May, the Prime Minister over there, has come out swinging Dr Keith.
1: Absolutely. It's a remarkable case. Um... So we've had a number of people die of Russian origin, die in mysterious circumstances in London. What is interesting is I think the British have now reached saturation point and now at long last, they're deciding to take decisive action.
0: So what period has this happened over?
1: Or well, the last couple of weeks. So um, the former spy and his daughter were living in Salisbury and um, were found slumped together on a park bench. um Apparently, some of the passers-by thought they were actually homeless people, which you don't get in Salisbury. That Salisbury is a cathedral city; it's nice and quiet. It's a tourist attraction, um, but it's it's not a place that you'd expect for international intrigue. So the the father and daughter were found together in a bad state. Police were called, so they. Um, are fighting for their lives. The police officer who was called to help them um, touched the bodies and has also become contaminated. And of course, there's worry that there may be other people in the region of that of that cafeteria where they had their meal that, in fact, they may also be contaminated. So the British have said you've got to wash all your clothing, your shoes, all the items you might have had in your hand, like a briefcase, etc. Um, so. What has happened is that the British um, were very quick in deciding that it was um, a gas attack. So you've got, basically you've got two ways of, of killing people. You, you've got biological warfare, which is anthrax, where you take a germ out of nature and spread it amongst the enemy. Um, we've always worried about the Russian research on anthrax. They had an anthrax outbreak, um, so we know they've, they have in previous decades experimented with anthrax. It's now outlawed, um, but there's always a risk of secret research being done. So that's when you take a germ germ out of nature and spread it amongst the enemy. And it can sometimes keep on spreading indefinitely. Um, so the military don't like anthrax or any other sort of uh, biological warfare. Now, the alternative one is called chemical warfare uh, or gas warfare. So this began um, during World War One, although, of course, there are examples of... of previously use of toxic smoke, etc., for the last 2,000 years. But the real breakthrough came in World War I when a person called Fritz Haber, who ironically later won a Nobel Prize for Chemistry, mm. Fritz Haber, a patriotic German, was working on the German fabric industry and um, noticed that in dyeing women's clothing, it also gave off an noxious gas. And then years later, when Germany was at war with the British and others, um, he then recycled that technology to make it into a weapon. Right. And so the Germans used gas warfare first. The British soon realised what was going on and so retaliated, although the risk always with gas warfare is the wind changes. And in fact, the first casualties of British gas warfare were Australian soldiers because oh, the clear. wind blew the the gas back into the attack. So, but the, that early form of gas warfare attacked the breathing system of people. So you saw these terrible examples of people coughing, coughing, Some people didn't die for decades, but they had weak lungs for the rest of their lives. Others lost their eyesight. Really horrendous. During the 1930s, and then there was the first step after the war to ban gas warfare, Um, Harbour himself, uh, as I say, received a Nobel Prize for chemistry for his work in the civilian sector. He'd also developed fertiliser as well as a, a chemical item. Um... The tragic tragedy of him is that he was a patriotic German, but also Jewish, and even though he'd converted to Christianity, nonetheless he decided to flee the country once that the Nazis took over power in 33, and died um, in Switzerland, possibly on his way to take up a, a job somewhere else. So, so that's Fritz Haber, a very controversial person. He said, "Look, I simply invented a higher form of killing." Mm. Um, so that's how he tried to get around this controversy over. Uh, his invention of gas warfare. In the 1930s, the Germans, again working on um, uh, chemicals, invented a system for killing flies and mosquitoes. So the the insecticide that you use attacks their nervous system. So if if you spray a mosquito, you'll notice the mosquito flies around. It's basically having a nervous breakdown. The the nervous system is um, overloading Mm. and it is dying. And uh, they then uh, developed nerve gases. Ironically, Hitler, who had been poisoned in World War One, did not want to have those weapons used unless the British used them. And the British said, "Well, we won't use them until the the Germans use mm. them." So the war. So uh, thankfully, nerve gas was never. In, uh, used during the World War
0: II. So when did the Russians get their hands on it? Then when did they start developing these sorts well, of weapons? Well, because at the end of World War II, the
1: Americans and the Russians both descended on Germany with a shopping list and to try to get hold of German scientists. So some Germans ended up working on the American Space Programme, even though they were Nazis, it's called Operation Paperclip Mm. on the American side, on the Soviet side, they also kidnapped German scientists. So the German technology, because they said, look, either you work for us in the future or we'll kill you. And so a lot of Germans said, well, we're basically scientists. We're work for who's ever going to pay us. Mm. So they then ended up, so you've got some that ended up at Fort Detrick um, where the Americans did their gas warfare and you got some um, working in the old Soviet Union. Um, the British establishment is Porton Down, which still exists and they've been involved in this case for the last two weeks. So um, you've got this invention and you cannot disinvent something. Mm. So, even, so the knowledge of how you make Gas warfare uh, to attack the nervous system has always remained. Now we've we've got international treaties to ban biological warfare and also chemical warfare, Um, but obviously countries have continued with those crafty
0: Russians, Uh, crafty Russians,
1: crafty North Koreans, Mm. Um, and also the Americans. Oh, Nixon said that he had closed all that down, but who knows what goes on in these secret research establishments? Um, So. The Russians have continued with their pioneering research and have continued with the, the nerve gas, and that is what we think, has, or a nerve agent. We, could, we don't necessarily know it was a, um, a gas, so it could be a light powder. Mm. It could have been solid, so it might have just been crushed up and put into their food. Um, so we're not sure how they managed to get it into the bodies of the victims, but um, so that they then have developed um, Novichok, which is the, the name of the... Um, it's a Russian invention. So that's why we know it's, it's a Russian plot.
0: And this is military grade as well.
1: Military grade. So we know it's invented by the Russians. It's got their fingerprints all over it. The mystery really was raised by the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, in a speech a few days ago when she said that um, either this was done on the instructions of Putin or Putin has rogue elements within his own intelligence community that are now carrying out their own operations. So just to explore this in more detail, and this is what the Prime Minister's raised, she said, look, we need to find out exactly what is going on here. So and this means that I need need to change the narrative a little. Moving away from gas warfare, etc., and chemical warfare. In the in the intelligence game, one of the ways in which a spy can be recruited is by the promise, well you not only get money but you will be looked after by us, our side. If you get captured, we will get you out. You'll be swapped for somebody that, we, that we've caught on their side and you'll be brought to live wherever you want to and you'll be able to live a good life, but make sure you live an obscure life, but mm. you better live a good life. And so that's been an inducement to people to spy because they know that that is an escape route. Provided they don't get shot. They pump, can get off scot-free. They can get off in a, mm-hmm. a later on in, a, in a, a swap. And this is really what happened with uh, Scripple, that he was caught as a spy, sent uh, to do heavy labour, Ironically, one of the reasons the military recruited him decades ago is that he was a pretty tough character. So although he was beaten up, all sorts of things, he was resilient enough to survive. And then ultimately the Russians wanted to do a spy exchange with the West and he was part of that package. So mm. he got his uh, uh, route to England that way and, of course, the spies that the the West had captured were then sent back to, to Russia. It was a spy deal. So he was living in retirement In Salisbury, um, and just, and you know, for a few years, the the Soviet, the Russians played the game. Um, And then suddenly, he's now been killed. And so the question is was he killed on Putin's instructions, or was it done by a rogue element? If it is on Putin's instructions, then Putin is now rewriting the rules of espionage. Because traditionally, when you are exchanged, that's it. You're left alone. For example, if you look at the Petrov scandal here in Australia back in the early 50s, the Petrovs were allowed... What was that?
0: Remind me. Mm. So
1: the Petrovs were spies who worked or came across to to help the Australian government. Not really big, but, you know, we don't get big spy scandals in Australia, but we did get them. And I have a recollection that the Russians allowed out the sister of the wife of Mr Petrov. So this is all part of the tradecraft. You know, okay, you've caught our spy. You've got him on your own home territory. Let the relatives go as well, which is really what we see with Scripple. You know, here you've got Scripple let out plus the daughter. Um, And so this is the way that tradecraft normally works. So the people then live in retirement uh, and yet he's been murdered. If Putin has said kill him, then Putin is now rewriting the rules of espionage which will, you know, and this will have implications for all other spying because there is not that escape route for you to get out of uh, detention. And once you're caught, you're there for life.
0: This is Global Truths with Dr Keith Suda. We're talking today about the Russian spy scandal that is continuing to unfold in the UK following the poisoning of a former Russian spy, Sergei Skripal, his daughter Yulia. We're talking at the moment about how much of a role President Putin did play in all of this and uh, and it really is game-changing in terms of espionage if he has played a major role. Uh, Why would he so brazenly order, if he was involved at all, this sort of thing on UK soil?
1: Well, that's exactly what Mrs May, the British Prime Minister, has asked. It doesn't make sense. The guy's not involved in spying now. He's living in a very quiet English cathedral city. It doesn't make sense for Putin to do this unless it's a deterrent to other potential spies, just simply saying, look, if you're spying against us... You've, you don't have that escape route.
0: Especially with the Russian election on this weekend, it seems like a bit of a distraction. But also, I mean, this, the Russians have been quite brazen in the last few years. There have been quite a few Russian agents attacked on British soil. So was enough was enough from the British perspective.
1: Well, this is the other part of the problem, that we had um, um, a, a Russian who was killed with polonium, which is a highly radioactive substance, Healed again on British territory. And the British were rather slow to respond. Uh, Weak, I think, is a better way of putting it. Um, And so if it is Putin who's instructed this, then Putin figured, look, I got away with it a decade ago. I can continue to do it now. And also we've had other Russians who have died in suspicious circumstances, people who keep committing suicide, et cetera. You know, there's an allegation that perhaps 14, 15 people who have been Declared by the police, the police just simply say, "Look, these are dead Russians. Why Mm. should we worry?" So you know, the allegation is that they were never very thorough in carrying out their investigations because it's not in their interest. As far as we're concerned, these are dead Russians. Let them go. The other thing, which is interesting, and again I have to change the narrative a little, is that it's been British policy for the last twenty odd years to encourage rich people to live in London, so or at least in England. So. England um, is kept afloat financially by the banking and, well, finance industry generally, right? You know, manufacturing has declined, tourism is good. It's a service sector which is growing. So manufacturing is you know, it's the country that went into the Industrial Revolution in 1750 and is now out of that mm. industrial era. So they've had to look around for new services. Finance generally, real estate, et cetera, they're all growing rapidly. And so British policy, irrespective of who's in power, has been to say to people, you are welcome to come and live in London.
0: Including very wealthy Russians.
1: 450 (laughs) millionaires are living in London. So the real estate agents, obviously in London, love Russian accents because that means there is money at the other end of the telephone. So you've got a lot of financial interests that are simply saying to the Russians, come over and live. And the British have not been terribly concerned about who actually has come, providing they bring the money with them. And so what we're now looking at, or the British are looking at, a decade late is financial penalties to be imposed on Putin's allies and Putin himself if if we find that he's got any money in London. So we're now beginning something which we should have done 10 years ago because it's no good just carrying out sanctions generally against the Russians. You can't punish those poor people. They're already in a mess. But if you were to say here are a number of individuals that are close to Putin that we are now introducing sanctions for, now, you can imagine the real estate agents in mm. London will be up in arms about mm-hmm. this and, and the banks, cetera, You know These are important people who run the British economy. So it's going to take quite a bit of nerve on the part of the British Prime Minister, first of all, to convince the police that they should be more scrupulous in investigating suspicious deaths. And secondly, for the finance sector to agree to hand over records relating to some of these suspicious characters around Putin.
0: But so Theresa May has been unrelenting in her attacks this week on Putin and and said announced today that in fact she's going to do they're going to look more in depth into those Russians you're talking about that are living in London from a political perspective though she has to play hardball here surely And she has. And
1: and just simply saying we will expel Russian spies, oh, this is another bit of the tradecraft thing. So the British have expelled 23 intelligence agents. You know, this always happens. Suddenly you need to expel spies. You've got a list of who the spies are immediately and you then identify, in this case, 23. The way the game is played is that we want to see what the Russians do because they will expel a certain number of British. If they expel a small number... It's a way of saying, yes, you're right. We deserved it. You've caught us out. Here's a, a token number to keep our own domestic audience happy. But basically, you have caught us, and we're in effect, we're admitting it. If they expel a larger than expected number in retaliation, then they are saying, look, this is not one of our jobs. And you guys have acted irresponsibly. So we're going to be looking to see how many British now get expelled in retaliation.
0: But surely it's their agent. This is the nerve agent that they created. How do they run from that? They've asked for a, um, for a sample of it. If, they, if the UK government does give over a sample of what was used to poison Sergei and his daughter Yulia, and what happens then? Well, and this, of
1: course, is where, going back again to the British Prime Minister, Theresa May, she said there are two possibilities. One is that this was authorised by Putin or that there are rogue elements operating in Russia over which Putin doesn't have control, which might explain this strange request by the Russians for a sample. In other words, if they get that sample of the, the um, uh, poison, they will then be able to trace it back in their own records to find out who on earth had access to this stuff. So that so it's a game within a game within a game within a game. Did Putin authorise this? Because it makes no sense for him to have this guy assassinated. Makes no sense whatsoever. On the other hand, and, and the fact there's an election coming up really is neither here nor there because, after all, Putin's going to win that election. We can get the result <laughs> now. <laughs> <laughs> Won't be a cliffhanger. <laughs> so, as Mrs. May correctly said, in my view, you know, she said, "Is this now being done by rogue agents within the Russian government, within the Russian system?" Remember, the intelligence agencies often operate without telling anybody. My standard example, which affects Australia, is the UK-USA agreement, 1947, signed between the United Kingdom, uh, United States, and Australia, which have also involved New Zealand and Canada. It's now the Five Eyes. No politician was told about that, and it was thirty years later that it that its existence was revealed. You don't tell politicians these things, right? They're not running the country. Mm. they're the ornaments mm. um, And so the agencies have their own agendas. now what the what the agenda would be on this one, if it's not a putin inspired event, who knows? But Mrs. May has said that this is an option. So either authorised by Putin, but it makes no sense for him to do that, or it's a rogue element, reflects badly on Putin. And it's frightening because it means, therefore, that you don't know who else is going to be involved as a rogue agent and what their agenda might be.
0: Is the Kremlin known, usually the Russian government known, for keeping a tight control on all their agents? Do they normally play, play ball or or are there elements that have always been rogue? Um, no, generally speaking, um, they're
1: honourable people. There is a, a code of honour within the tradecraft um, and the agencies do tend to cooperate with each other and honour agreements. As I say, when people do get exchanged um, in, in the deals, those people, until two weeks ago, those people were never killed by the, the expelling country. So the Russians, have, the Soviets in the old days certainly honoured their side of the bargain. Because they recognise it's in the long-term interest Mm. to cooperate with your enemy uh, intelligence agencies because it's all part of this three-dimensional chess game that goes on, which you and I as taxpayers are the ones who pay for this. Mm. But who knows what's going on in this uh, hall of mirrors, as it's called.
0: Uh, Again, absolutely fascinating. Just very quickly, um, and this is opening a can of worms, I'm sure, but we did find out there was a second death, a suspicious death uh, just over a week ago, another Russian In the UK, this completely flips the whole thing again because there's uh, uh, Magnitsky. I'll let you take it from there because otherwise I could confuse everyone.
1: So, yes, the Magnitsky Act is an American act drawn up in um, response to what has been happening within Russia, particularly the death of Magnitsky, the lawyer, who was very badly treated um, by um, the Russian services. And there's now been a, um, a push to introduce similar legislation in the UK and no doubt for... Australia. So um, I think at long last, we're getting aware of these problems um, and the need for us to, to retaliate against Russia. Remember, we're not dealing with the old Soviet Union. The old Soviet Union was motivated by political ideology. Money was not a major factor for them. They really did think they were running a new society and they're trying to take over the world for the benefit of the rest of the world so that we could all become nice, peaceful communists. What we're now dealing with in Russia... Is, a, um, is basically a pirate state. It's one that is motivated by money, and we see the arrival of that money coming into Australia, which causes its own forms of, of distortions within the political process of, with this tidal wave of money. Mm. And so it's a whole new game that we're playing with with Russia. It's not old-fashioned communists now. their people who are out for making money. And it's a whole new era into which we're moving.
0: And that second death we were just referenced in in the UK this week—they just discovered a week later after he died. This particular Russian <clears throat> was friends with Boris Magnetsky, which yeah. is the lawyer we spoke about who is killed by Russians, so the theory goes. So Damn. that, I mean, that's a whole another story in a itself, whole new story. Fascinating. If you do get a chance, get out there and look up Boris Magnitsky. It is fascinating. It is confusing, but it is a fascinating story. Dr. Keith, as always, a pleasure. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Alex Mitchell. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. Listener.